The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. We come to the second psalm. And I'm going to read it in just a moment. I just want to say this uh, from the beginning. If you're new to Parkwood, I had a conversation with somebody brand new after the last service. Um, The way we preach here is we follow a book of the Bible and we just work through it section by section, verse by verse. So this is where I'm coming. I'm not responding to anything cultural today. There wasn't something in the news that prompted me to preach Psalm 2. This is where we're at. Now, here's what I know. The overwhelming majority of you who have been around church many of your whole life have never heard a a sermon on the second psalm. And you'll understand why when it unfolds and, and what it says. What I'm going to preach to you is the authoritative, inerrant, without error, word of God. I'm not going to apologize for what's here. This is what God has said. And we need to treat it as such today. Psalm 2, let's stand. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. We'll tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I've begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Let's pray. Oh God, we come before you and we confess that we live in an age, we live in a culture, we live in a land where people rage, who are doing all they can to cast off your bonds. We confess that you are on your throne. You are not disturbed. You have clearly established your son and he will come again and judge So make us wise today through the warning of your word. I pray that we would fear you and rejoice in you. May men and women, young people, may we kiss the sun. May we be blessed and take refuge in you. Give us perspective today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's the main idea, the main thrust of this text. The wicked reject the Lord's anointed. The righteous take refuge in him. The wicked reject him. It's a conscious rejection. 
You reject him. The righteous take refuge in him. We know this is written by David, not because of what's indicated here, but Acts chapter four, verse 25 reads, who through the mouth of our father, David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? A direct quote, Psalm two. I find it shocking that in my life as a Christian, other than preaching on it myself, I've never heard a sermon on the second Psalm. Here's one of the reasons I find it shocking. It is the most quoted Psalm in the New Testament. Psalm two comes up more than any other Psalm. You're gonna see multiple places today where I'm gonna show you where it's quoted. Now, as we unpack the Psalm, we gotta see some distinct things that are happening here. It's four stanzas. The first stanza, the narrator speaks. The second one, God the Father speaks. The third stanza, God the Son speaks. And the fourth stanza, the narrator draws the conclusion. Now, when I take Acts 4.25 and I apply it to this text, I learn who the narrator is. The narrator is the Holy Spirit. So you have a Trinitarian Psalm in front of you. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's tied closely to the first psalm. The first psalm is a contrast between the righteous man and the sinner. The second psalm is a contrast between the disobedient, ungodly world and the righteous son of God. In the first psalm, the wicked are driven away like chaff. In the second psalm, we see the wicked broken into pieces like a clay pot. The righteous man in the opening psalm, Psalm 1, is now explicitly seen. It is God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is by taking refuge in Jesus that the judgment awaiting the wicked can be avoided. Now, this is what I have prayed for you all week. I prayed for those listening to this message. I have prayed for perspective. We are driven by the world we live in, by the worldview, the way the world tells us to respond, and by the pace of the world that we're all living right now. We are an anxious, stressed out human race. We're constantly worried about it. What are we gonna do right now? 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 What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? And we have lost perspective. And my prayer is perspective that you're dealing with a God who was who is and who is to come. He is concerned with right now, but he's got far greater concern than this moment. So let's unpack the Psalm. First stanza, we see the vain opposition against the Lord's anointing. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. So the Holy Spirit here is speaking, narrating for us. And what we see in these first three verses is a description of the hatred of human nature for Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's not a mild hatred. It is a deep-seated hatred. It's a rage. And this rage against Christ leads them to plot in vain. So you've got to ask the question, what is this vain thing that they're plotting? The answer is to rid the world of the Lord's anointed. 
We see the first conspiring nations together against the Lord's anointed in the New Testament, in the Gospels, as the Roman government and the religious government of the people of Israel conspired together to condemn and to crucify Jesus Christ on the cross. They thought they were ridding the world of the anointed one. We know they failed. Throughout history, governments have said it to be their intention to rid the world of Christianity. One of the Roman emperor's names was Diocletian. Diocletian was a wicked, evil man who wanted Christianity eliminated. He extended the Roman Empire to Spain, to the coast of the Atlantic Ocean. He thought he had gone to the end of the earth. At the ocean, he erected two pillars, which read, Diocletian, Hovian, Maximum, Herculeus, Caesareus, Augusti. That's a powerful name. I just don't have time to explain it to you. He used every powerful word he could to explain himself. And he says, for having extended the Roman Empire in the east and the west and having extinguished the name Christian, those who brought our republic to ruin. Well, we know he failed. He did not extinguish the world of the name Christian. Their modern governments are attempting to do it. North Korea, Somalia, Japan attempted it in the 20th century. Multiple people have tried to rid the world of Christianity. Why? Why? Verse three is your answer. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Let us be free to commit all manner of abominations. Let us be our own gods is what they're saying. Let's rid ourselves of all restraint. I've, I've said that. I said it last week briefly. Here's what we're seeing now. We're seeing young people who've grown up or been exposed to Christianity speak to their parents as if they did something immoral to them by raising them in a Christian family. It's not just rejection of Christianity. It's assigning an immorality to it. That, you, that you've bound us up. You've done something to us that's wrong. As secularism rises in our culture, you sense and see more of this bursting the bonds, getting away the course. We don't want to be confined. So let me just say this clearly and carefully to you as an individual and let us speak into our culture for a moment. We better be careful lest God gives us what we ask for. And when I read Romans 1 in a moment, I think God's given the West what they're asking for. Now, thank God he's not given the whole world what they've asked for, but he's given it to the West. And what do you mean by the West? I mean Europe and the United States. That's what I mean by the West. Let's turn to Romans 1. Now, before I read this text in its entirety, I want you to mark the highlight that needs to grab your eyes and your ears when we flow through this text. Verse 24. God gave them up. Verse 26, God gave them up. Verse 28, God gave them up. 
This is what they want. God gives them to it. Now watch this. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. Now, now, now folks, this ought to frighten you is how fast this happened. Now here's what's next. Utter chaos. Listen closely. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. What ought not to, to do, what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So everybody look up here. I, I, don't, I don't have to tell you much. Here's what the American culture now wants. We don't just want permission. We want approval. So you, you, you need to understand this. The left whatever that is, is not going to rest until Christians have to come into compliance with what they want to do. Young people, you're going to have a decision to make whether you stand with Christ or the world. And it's coming at a breakneck speed. Because what the world wants is to cast off its bonds and do what it wants to do. Now, the next stanza is good news. We get the response of the Lord. <clears throat> he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Now the father speaks. And notice this. He sits. You got to ask the question, where is he sitting? On the throne. <laughs> so God is not intimidated by those who sit on the Supreme Court. God sits on the throne. He's not intimidated by any king. God sits on the throne. And this is what he does. He laughs. This is not an unholy laughter. This is God saying the plans of man are ridiculous. This is God saying, I'm not taking you serious. Now you're taking yourself serious. I'm not. Because any plan to put down the kingdom of Christ is impossible. Plummer, he died a long time ago, said, it's as if an a fly should attack an elephant. That if we think we can thwart God, Psalm 37, I'm going to read a lot of text. Just, just 
flow with me here. Psalm 37, the wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him, but the Lord laughs at the wicked for he sees his day coming. So let me take you back to the, to the Old Testament, to the book of Exodus. The children of Israel were multiplying rapidly in Egypt and, and Pharaoh got threatened with them. So he came up with a plan. He was gonna get rid of the male children. You may remember how he was gonna do it. Throw them in the Nile, gonna drown them. Now let's tra track with this story for a minute. Watch, watch how God laughs. So God sets aside a man to set his people free. And how does he deliver him to Pharaoh? He floats him down the Nile to his daughter. Moses grows up. God sets him apart. He comes before Pharaoh to set his people free. I won't get into all the plagues, but multiple times the plagues come from the Nile. Then God allows his people to leave Egypt. And how does God get the final laugh? He drowns Pharaoh's army. The one who sits in heaven laughs. He is not intimidated at this point in history by any powerful ruler or country. He is the king. He is Lord. He is God. And when he speaks, to this wicked world, he will speak to them in wrath. Now that does not mean God is driven by his emotion. God's not like me, thank God he is not like me, who gets aggravated and says things he ought not to say. When God speaks in his wrath, that means his wrath is birthed from his righteousness. He is responding to those who de de despise him with the truth of his word. His response is always just. No one can blame him. Every mouth is stopped. Every sinner will be speechless. His response is complete. It will result in utter and total destruction. And it will be a surprise. The world's not seeing that the day of the Lord is coming. Or if you talk about it, they scoff at it. They don't intend for it to come. They don't expect for it to come, but it is sure and it is coming and it will be an eternal destruction. To the, there will be no end for what God's wrath poured out. Now, why is God going to pour out his wrath on humanity? Because of verse six. For me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Now, here's the gospel. Don't miss the gospel. So this psalm is looking to what's coming. Remember, I told you you need some perspective beyond what is to what's coming. Now we need to shift into what is because of what was. Notice the past tense. I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Read two passages of scripture, Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified with by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10. For while we were enemies. Now I hope Psalm 2 gives you some perspective of what it means to be an enemy of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. 
That means, friends, that on the holy hill in Zion, Christ died in our place and took the wrath of God upon himself. What we deserved, he took. And those who will face the wrath of God in the future at his second coming are those who reject the fact that he came and died for them. He has set his son. He has provided a way. He is the way, the truth, and the life to reconcile enemies to himself. So be reconciled to God through Christ or face his judgment. Revelation 14, 10. He will also drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb. Now, how could God make such a, a claim? It's because of the decree concerning the Lord's anointed. Back to Psalm 2. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them like pieces, like a potter's vessel. So the son here speaks of his unique and distinct nature. He says of the father, the Lord said to me, you are my son. Now here Hebrews 1 Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, listen, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become much superior to angels as the name as he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Now watch what the writer of Hebrews appeals to here. Listen to this. For which of his angels did God ever say, you are my son. Today, I have begotten you. It's quoting Psalm 2. He's speaking of the unique and distinct nature of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only begotten. That means this, friend, that Jesus Christ is the only one born of the Father. Now you may be out there going, well, you know, I'm made in the image of God. We're all God's children. Listen, every person in this room, no exception, have two human parents. Only Christ was born of a virgin born of the Father, the only begotten of God. And because he is the only begotten of God, he is unique. He is fully God and fully man. And because he is fully God and fully man, when they killed him, and he really died, he was fully man. And they put him in the grave because he was fully God. Three days later, he rose again. The writers of the New Testament appealed to that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Romans 1, 4. And it was de he was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now in Acts chapter 13, the clear connection to Psalm 2 is made. Watch. He will bring you the good news that God promised to the fathers. This he has fulfilled to us 
their children by raising Jesus as it was written in the second Psalm, today, or you are my son, today I have begotten you. So you see the connection. Being begotten of God is tied to the fact that he is resurrected. Now the resurrected Christ has a unique mission. That mission's still going on. It's not over yet. The unique mission expressed here in a prayer that the father says, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. The fact that this request made by Christ is being granted by the father is evident in the fact that you're sitting here today. It's made it to this part of the world. And thanks be unto God, you believe the gospel. And it's going to make it to all the world. Why? Because all the nations are his. Psalm 82, 8, arise, O God, judge the earth, for you will inherit the nations. The nations will turn to him. Psalm twenty two twenty seven. all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations shall worship before you for kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. Ask of me. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, the end of the earth your possession. This is a quote written over 150 years ago. Quote, the missionary cause must ultimately succeed. It is the cause of God and shall prevail. The days roll on rapidly when the shout of the islands shall swell with the thunder of the continent. When the Thames and the Danube, when the Tiber and the Rhine shall call upon the Euphrates, the Ganges and the Nile, and the loud concert shall be joined by the Hudson, the Mississippi and the Amazon singing with one heart and one voice, Alleluia, salvation, the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Folks, I, I think sometimes either Americans don't think about missions or when we think about missions, we have a very high view of ourselves. Now, we ought to do missions because God said to. That's the driving reason to the glory of God. Not because we think it's done or there are plenty of churches. Or what, that's not, that is not your call. God said, take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. But here's what you need to know. The overwhelming majority of Christians live in what you call the third world. That means the missionary enterprise has succeeded. The gospel is spreading. And here's one of the reasons it's spreading right now is because it's spread into places like China. So when a Chinese believer, person became a believer and they read things like, go take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth, they packed their stuff up and went. Because they grew up in repression. They grew up in threat. They grew up with the fear of death. So what did they have to fear? Just go. It's not unusual in a Chinese house church to have a prayer meeting and somebody say they're gonna go, literally pack their bags and leave the next day. And that's how the gospel is spreading over the face of the earth. And to all these people when they go and they, they preach the gospel and when the gospel is believed, people who are enemies now become God's friend. But for all who reject him, here's the flow of the psalm. They will face him as a distinct judge. Verse nine, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them like a potter's vessel. The rod of iron here is a symbol of rule. It means that God will discipline and judge all of creation. 
It is Christ the Son who will judge the nation. Psalm 110, the Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations. Filling them with corpses, he will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. Now this impending judgment should bring a response from us. But before we consider our response, let's look to the response of the Lord's anointed that we're appealed to. Now therefore, O kings, verse 10, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. And be careful in how you amen here. That means Kim Jong-un is going to answer to Jesus. That means that Putin will answer to Jesus. That means Donald Trump will answer to Jesus. But let me press this further. We live in a culture of kings. We've convinced ourselves we all sit on the little throne of our life. It's one of the reasons we're, we're spiraling toward destruction as a culture because every man cannot live for himself in a culture. It's not possible. It cannot happen. It cannot function. So we say with the word of God, O kings, be wise. What does that mean? Got to go to Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's what Psalm 2 is appealing to here. You, you better wake up and realize who you're dealing with. Be wise. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Serving the Lord means to faithfully and sincerely give yourself to what God has commanded. Let me, let me just strike a little fear here in my own heart and yours. Have you noticed how the Bible's become optional in most churches? We're more listening to the evil one who stepped into the garden and we're more apt to open our Bible and ask this question. Did God really say, really? Sure. He doesn't mean that. I have spent enormous amounts of time as a pastor of dealing with that question. Did God really say? Brothers and sisters, we must realize who has spoken. And we must realize that we must serve the one who has spoken to us with fear. Now, what does this mean, fear? It means a reverence, a conscious recognition of who you're dealing with. Now, let me press in here for a minute. And be careful, don't amen and all that. Just, just, let's just, 
And don't get mad either. Somewhere in the middle of the 20th century, parents turned a corner and they raised the baby boomers who said in the 60s, we'll do whatever we want to do. Then sometime in the mid-70s, they thought, oh, we're going to have kids. We better modify this approach a little bit. And they calmed down some. Then those kids had kids. Ah. These are the children at Walmart now. These are the children who, three years old, look at their parents and say, with no fear, no. Hear me. God put a design in humanity and he put a design in human culture to teach fear and its parents. And when you raise little kings and queens in your home, you are teaching them to do what the Bible says will be in the end days, that they have no fear of God in their eyes. This is where we live. So I don't care how you were raised. I don't care whether your parents taught you a holy reverence or not. Here's what I'm telling you today. God has spoken and you will answer to him. He's God and you are not. You better fear him. Now watch this. Rejoice with trembling. Why are you rejoicing with trembling? Because here's what he says to you. Kiss the son. There's an invitation here. Kiss the son. Now here's how the modern, with no fear of God in their eyes, would have written this worship song. Oh Jesus, you called me to climb up in your lap and to whisper in your ear and to kiss you on the cheek. Hey, realize who you're talking about. This is a man holding a scepter who sits on the throne. He's God, he's not your buddy. And here's what he does, by grace, he extends his hand to you and he says, kiss the son. And here's the image it ought to be in your mind, not. We're so flippant. Folks, I feel a desperation here. Here's what it be in your mind. You've invited me. You're the king. And you've called me into your presence. And you've invited me to kiss the sun. Here's why American prosperity theology is booming. is because it appeals to little kings. It says, God's waiting to meet your every need. 
Here's the truth of the Bible. God is ready to meet your greatest need, and that is to make enemies friends. Is your greatest need is to be saved, to be called to kiss the son. Why? Lest he be angry and you perish in the way and his wrath is quickly kindled. That means do not delay. Yield to him today. Fall before him. He is the king. He is Lord and Savior. He is the Savior King. And blessed are all who take refuge in him. That's the nature of salvation in this verse. That means it is a divine favor. It is a gift. It's not something you deserve. You see the object of salvation here. It's in him. It's in Christ alone. There is no other way to be saved but Christ. And you see the outcome. It's a refuge. It's a safe place. So here's the question. Am I taking refuge in the Lord Jesus Christ? Hear me closely. You will either take refuge in him or you will vainly desire to take refuge from him when he comes. Carefully hear what I'm saying. There is no refuge from him, only in him. He will not change his mind when he comes. He has spoken and he has said to you, kiss the son. Revelation chapter one, beginning with verse four says, grace to you and peace from him who was and who is and who was and who is to come. And you see how this starts? Grace, you don't deserve this. Peace, you have peace through Christ with the one who was and is and is to come. From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. The late James Montgomery Boyce preaching in Psalm 2 said, and I quote, the hands he holds forth to you to kiss are hands that were pierced by nails when he was crucified in your place. One day he is coming as the great judge of all. On that day, the wicked will be punished. But today, today is the day of grace. He invites you to come. The final verse says, blessed are those who take refuge in him. It is a reminder that the only refuge from the wrath of God is God's mercy unfolded in the cross of Jesus Christ. So here's my question to you. Has the spirit of God exposed your need for Christ today? Do you know Has it become obvious that you are a sinner bound for the judgment of God? If you are, confess your sin and repent. That means turn from your sin and trust in Christ. Only he can save you from your sin and from the wrath to come. Cry out to him. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. All. He will not despise or turn away from you. Now, let me be careful here. There's this this thing going on. It's being tried in cultures to where there's a lot of intimidation and a lot of threat. 
where you can be, quote, a secret Christian. You ever heard this? I don't know why we're looking over in the Muslim world and going, oh, we're kind of shocked about that. We believe that here. We think our churches are full of them. Secret Christians, people who come to church, but they have no evidence whatsoever, ever, 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 that they have any regeneration that's ever taken place in their life. And if you get really down to it with these people, they'll argue with you. You know, I believe in Jesus, and when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. Are you? Are you? I can defend this. I don't have time. I can defend this with my Bible. On that day of judgment, there will be no secret Christians. There are going to be some people argue for it, and Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. Never knew you. I don't know who you are. Well, who are Christians then? Those who kiss the son. Who's the son? He's the savior king. We say it this way in the, Lord, in the New Testament. He is Lord and savior. A Lord dictates your life. Amen? He's savior, king. Those he saves, he is their king. And we are to acknowledge ourselves as followers of Christ. And if you never have, I pray today that you will. Let's pray. Father, as we bow before you, I pray for the alarm that's going off in some hearts and souls in this room that they will not turn a deaf ear, that they will not turn away, that today they will repent of their sin and turn to Christ. I thank you for the day I was confronted with my sin and I could not run. Thank you for crushing me. I pray that you would do that work in the hearts and lives of people in this room and that you give them the courage to make this known. And Lord, I pray for every believer in the room that we realize we never stop kissing the sun. Never. And I pray as we sing and as we leave from this place that we would live lives in honor of our Savior King who has redeemed us and brought us into the family of God. Move, we pray now, among your people in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.